you get a new top 10 every week. It changes every week. It's going to keep on going forever and ever. It's not that important. A platinum plaque is great. It's incredible. Once it's on the wall, it doesn't do jack shit. You know what I mean? It's just there for people to say, wow, wow, wow. Say wow again. But changing somebody's life and, and having the potential of them then going on and telling their story and impacting somebody else's life, it's enough for me, man. Hey guys, and welcome to the Take Flight Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whittle, and this week we are speaking to another peak performer, another individual at the very top of their class in what they do. I'm so excited for this guest. I'm a huge, huge fan of music, and in particular, the genre of music this individual is from. I also live right around the corner from where this person grew up, so it was amazing to hear all the stories and get a real insight into this industry. Something that we haven't heard too much about before in the past on Take Flight. The guest for episode 55 of the Take Flight podcast is none other than Sway DeSafo. Sway is a UK hip-hop artist and a UK rapper. You may recognise Sway from certain chart-topping tracks like Up Your Speed, Little Derek, Still Speeding and Level Up. All songs that got mass exposure around the UK and globally. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. There was so much that I didn't even know about Sway from all my research and stuff cropped up in this conversation which blew me away. He came up in the North London area around Haringey and Crouch End and got into music from a very young age. Ultimately, that led to him getting into rap and finding a real passion and a talent in that area of his life. So much happened in between, which I won't spoil for you, but it ultimately led to his first debut album, This Is My Demo, which had huge success. Sway was looked at in the industry as such a success and the future of UK hip-hop, and because of this was eventually signed by Akon, and his record label Decipher got to do so much because of that. He featured on tracks with Lupe Fiasco, he had Lupe feature on his tracks. He went over to the US and experienced unbelievable stuff with artists like Rihanna, seeing Akon build the empire that he was building over in the US at the same time and learning so much from that and being able to bring it back to the UK. But away from music, Sway had serious challenges from mental health and also far more seriously with a symptom called Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a cancer that he feels he developed from being purely burnt out. Thank God he's healthy now, but he said it was the best thing that ever happened to him. And it was amazing hearing that. And he's gone on to do so many things with Decipher Records now. He's impacting so many. He's managing people like KSI, who you might have heard of, who's the YouTuber. He's also got that amateur fight against the other YouTuber with all the professional fights on the undercard. But I really loved hearing all of Sway's story. It was unreal getting insight into how he writes a record, how he taps into that flow state and clears his mind. And the music essentially is channeled through him. And even more interesting and fascinating to hear that he's no longer looking at those chart-topping tracks. He's looking at impacting and moving people through his music. This is honestly such a special episode. I was in my absolute element talking to Sway. I could have sat there all day. Believe it or not, I tried to keep it to an hour, but we went for about an hour and a half. And I'm so glad we did because there was gold in the last half an hour as well. Stay tuned to the end because we've got one of Sway's recent tracks tagged on the end here so you can listen to what he's up to now but without further ado please enjoy this unbelievably inspiring and heartfelt conversation with the amazing Sway DeSafo and big shout out to Ben Sulgana for the intro enjoy Sway welcome to the Take Fight podcast thank you for having me brother mate thanks so much for doing it so we're sat here in was it Tile Yard yeah this is Tile Yard yeah, yeah just by King's Cross and it's an awesome little media setup and we're in your studio up here as well yep yep so, yep thanks for having me no nah, no problem man you're welcome yeah i've been looking forward to it so um 
What have you been doing today, man? What's, what's been going on? Uh, today I've just been doing a bit of running around, sorting out family stuff. I've done the school run this morning. Yeah. So I took my five-year-old boy to school. After that, I had to go through a few emails and stuff like that. And I drove up to the studio. I actually have a studio session this evening, but um, I come up earlier to do this. And then I'm going to go back and take my son back to my mum's yeah. and then come back again and yeah. do the studio stuff so nice. that yeah juggling juggling it all but enjoying it every nice. every minute of it yeah know? i bet mate what so friday night studio session yeah friday night studio what session with a pianist so i'll okay. be here with what well, a keyboard player he'll be doing some stuff for me um just based on my my new album well not this album coming in. i've got another album i've got a few a few projects in the pipeline okay. so yeah i work pretty far ahead of time amazing mate right. so what like how far ahead would that be we're talking about potentially four projects away, but I'm working on them now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've, I've got a lot in the arsenal. Yeah. yeah totally. Oh, mate, looking forward to it, man. I, I was a big fan of yours when I was growing up as Amazing, well. Amazing, so. man. Thank you, man. Yeah, looking Thanks forward so to seeing some more of your music. Definitely. Um, so, mate, if we kind of go back to the beginning, like, yeah. I think about like music was massive for me. Yeah. This is a peak performance podcast. We speak with people who are at the top in, in their field and what mm-hmm. they're doing and learn about their stories, hear mm-hmm. about what worked for them, what didn't, any yeah. obstacles and adversity they faced yeah. along the way. Yeah, sure. Music's been massive for me, mate, as far as uh, kind of a medicine and even a therapy in some cases. It lifts you up yeah. when you need it to. Um, yeah. And I've just loved it. Like From a young age, my granddad told me stories of like when he would play at Ronnie Scott's. Oh, wow. Yeah, and wow. I'd hear like the kind of music he loved. Like, what more. did he play? He played drums, oh, nice. uh, violin, oh, clarinet, um, it kind of played a little bit of everything, really. Are you musical yourself? Oh, mate, I've let the family down. <laughs> so I, pl- I went in like the sporting side of things. Okay, cool. But I've always just loved music. And yeah. like, I'm, it's like a big passion of mine. But I never, I played the guitar when I was younger and nice. then football took over. I didn't have enough time for it, sadly. But okay. um, but yeah, so then my, my dad kind of introduced me to what he likes, like Motown, like Four Amazing. Tops and stuff like that as a young age. And then people like the Eagles, nice. stuff like that. And then... Um, I was introduced to uh, like hip hop and R and B, and I'm a big fan of hip hop and R and B and and different types of music like that. So, keen to hear kind of your early memories of music and yeah. how you got into it and what your favourite type of music was and yeah. a bit of that background. Yeah, so I was um, born and raised in London, um, Whittington Hospital place in Were London. You? Yeah, I was born in Whittington Hospital. I um, lived in, in, in uh, Archway. I lived in Crouch End. Obviously, yeah, <laughs> literally around the corner yeah. from. Where, and, and, my, and my school, my secondary school was actually in Crouch and it was Highgate Wood. I went to a school called Highgate Wood. And um, so I was born I was born in London, but then I spent early childhood in Ghana. So I spent like from ages one till I, I think it was three or four in Ghana with my grandmother. And, um, and then I came back. And so I had an influence. I always had the influence of Western music and African music. So I was heavily, I think my, the first ever album that was bought for me was Michael Jackson Thriller and Auntie had bought the vinyl with the, you know, the open up vinyl with the, I think he had like a little lion or a little tiger or something yeah. on him. And, you know, like I was just a crazy Michael Jackson fan at the age of four. I was just constantly, my mum used to listen to Cameo. Then my dad listened to Bob Marley. And then there was like Amachi Dede, um, Kudjo Entry, these are all Ghanaian high life musicians. So I had a I had a wide range of influences musically growing up. Um, Hip hop didn't even really come till later. I was into pop, you know, growing up as a kid, it was more like whatever was in the mainstream. It was, I had an older cousin um, 
called DJ Inc. Um, he's, his name's Giles, but he's DJ Inc. He was part of a, a collective called the Metalheads, which was a Goldies collective. It was a drum and bass collective. And he used to DJ. And he used to, back in the day, he used to play a lot of hip hop when we were growing up. And that's how I got into the hip hop side because mm. he was proper into your NWAs. He used to bump a guy called Tim Dog, like more hardcore. It was really, it was a lot more aggressive to what I was hearing in, at home. So when I wanted the more edgier stuff, I'd be like, when I heard the more edgier stuff, it would be because I'd be at Giles's house who lives in who lived in Crouch End mm. at the time. And um, when it was more like poppier stuff, it would be what my mum would play me and soul stuff and high life and then and, and later hip life. So I was, I was like, it was, it, I wasn't just raised on one style of music. Yeah. I listened to everything. I was also, funny enough, a really big fan of a band called Madness as well. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They had tracks like Baggy Trousers and yeah. stuff like that. And I just, I loved the quirkiness of it. You know, I was just, I was always into like, like I always liked comedy. You know, comedy was my thing in terms of like, I liked anything that was quirky and made me laugh and Madness had managed to merge that with music. You know, and even though I was quite young at the time that they were like really prominent and releasing records, I still remember um, watching the stuff on TV and, and coming across some of the vinyl, etc. So yeah. yeah, I had a pretty wide range of influences musically. Oh man, I love it. It's so good. All them ones you said there, I love as well. Like Amazing. Michael Jackson, I remember listening on a cassette player with wow. headphones. Wow. Um, Michael Jackson, is it is it history? Like the two part. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Basically, yeah. like the greatest hits, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like banging that like all the time. Yeah, I loved that. So, how did you listen to it? Was it on like cassette or? Well, when 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 I was younger, it was more vinyl. Yeah. So my mum used to buy a lot of vinyl. My dad used to. My dad had tons of cassettes. My mum had lots of vinyl, so I used to listen to it like at home. You know, they used to play it like they were really like like we we're really a musical family, even though they didn't do anything professionally musically. Like music was a really big part of my upbringing. And then as I got older, it was more radio. You know, I used to tune into different radio stations, uh, you know, from like when I got into my like early teens, a lot of Tim Westwood. Yeah. You know, I used to tape, I used to record Tim Westwood shows all the time, put them on cassette yeah. and then play them back throughout the week. Who was um, like your favourite artist on like the Tim Westwood show and stuff? Those days, it was like, Prodig I was sorry, it was a Mob Deep, Capone and Noriega, yeah. um, it was that it was that kind of era. Like big Punisher and all. Yeah, big yeah, big pun Wu Tang. Yeah, you know, yeah, Wu Tang. I mean, I can't I can't believe I've said them fourth down the line. <laughs> Wu Tang <laughs> yeah. was one of my biggest like like literally it was they were like they were like the X Men for me. Yeah, you know what I mean, they were like they were like those supreme teams. It's like everything you dreamed of out of rap. Um, so there was a lot of um, Westwood, and then I started doing the whole you know going to record shops. Um, but I didn't go to like, like rare record shops. I'd go to like our price mm -hmm. and, you know, and listen, they had these, like anytime there was a new album out, they'd have these pods that you could go to, put some headphones on, yeah. check what you wanted to listen to. And I'd literally, you're supposed to listen to it for like maybe like two minutes yeah. or something and then decide if you're going to buy. I'd be there and like play the whole <laughs> album and then think about if I had enough money at the end of the week, then I'd go and buy the one that I liked the most. But I'd hear all albums, man. I'd be... I'd be in there for like an hour at times, yeah. you know, and then my mates, we, what does this album sound like? What does that album sound like? Um, and actually the first, I think the first thing I actually bought was a cassette and it was Criss Cross. Mm -hmm. It was Criss Cross album. I think the album was called Totally Crossed Out. That was my first actual purchase with my own money because I used to get like stuff bought for me by my parents. They'd buy 
like vinyl and tapes. But with my own money, I remember going in and just being totally, like totally crazed out by Crisscross and and buying that album. And, yeah. and, and funny enough, Crouch Head. Yeah. yeah. What they had a record shop at Crouch. They had an Al Price in ah. Crouch Head. Yeah, they had an Al Price there because um, I went to Highgate Wood School. Oh, I mean, I could say it now. Every lunchtime, like we'd go out. You weren't supposed to go out at that point. There was an age group where you couldn't go out, but we'd go out anyway, and we'd go and listen to stuff and, you know, buy stuff and whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So, it's, mate, so many of the artists that you said there, yeah, are like U.S. artists, yeah. And I think, like for me, I, I was a massive Notorious B.I.G. fan. Oh, massive, yeah. I remember watching yeah. the film Hardball and hearing the song Big Papa. Oh wow, like, mate. Yeah. And I bought that album. I was probably like twelve. Wow. I probably shouldn't have been listening to that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, definitely but, not. Yeah. yeah. But I've always been a big fan of his, and like remember watching documentaries and stuff of his and, mm-hmm. and Tupac and all, all that kind of genre and and that era of people. Yeah. And they'd be like on the street, like freestyling or battling with each other, and yeah. Um, it was like a real culture, wasn't it? So yeah. I'm interested to know, like, when did you start going from listening to the music to actually doing stuff yourself, writing music yourself, and and what was the like street culture of of rap and hip hop like in London? Because I can't imagine it's too much like what it was in America. Yeah, well, so the thing is, for me, one one of the reasons, like, I, like I didn't know how I had my name like sway in the beginning, but then it all started to make, make sense as life went on. One of the things about me is I've always kind of like I've never been like in one place I've always kind of gone from side to side of you know the it's always been like maybe sometimes two extremes or sometimes I like a little bit of 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 both sides of things so like I was saying earlier I was you know I was I grew up on pop music I mean which I mean if you if you play pop music to like my older cousins at the time they'll be like what the hell are you listening to mm-hmm. yeah I mean like it, it was a big a big leap from MC Hammer to to NWA, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure about, like, I'm just saying in terms of contrast of the the credibility of the music. I was into E17, you know what I mean? At a time where maybe my older cousins might have thought that that's, that's some cheesy stuff, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, so I've always kind of had this kind of like sway from culture to culture with the whole Africa African thing as well. So being brought up on African music and then also you know, listening to Madness, which is proper British and yeah. kind of like pop. So I've always had that. And also where I was raised as well, I was raised in a, in, in a place called Hornsey. So I was raised in, on a council estate um, in Hornsey. But the thing about Hornsey is that with Hornsey, being brought up in Hornsey, you you have a choice, you know. For me to get to, I was brought up in a two-bedroom flat. There was five of us you know so we you know we we weren't like extremely poor but we were on the poorer end you know but for me to get from my flat where I was born and raised to go to school I went past a lot of nice houses I went Mm -hmm. past Priory Park I went past Rectory Gardens I used to hang around in Muswell Hill so there was always like a choice I wasn't brought up in an environment where I was like I have to live like this forever We've got to live in this flat forever. There was inspiration right in front of me. And also I had a choice in the type of people I would hang around with, yeah. you know? So it was, it was very easy. I had a lot of family members and, and, and um, cousins and friends and stuff that were in Wood Green and Tottenham where it was like there, there wasn't, it wasn't as affluent as Muswell Hill mm-hmm. and Crouch End. Um, and I would be in those areas, but then I'd be with people who, you know, you know, li- next day I might hang around with someone who's, Dad's a doctor and they've got a six bedroom flat in Muswell Hill and see a totally different life. So for me, it was kind of like, 
you know, in terms of like what I could relate to, when I'd see like Naughty by Nature, like in the hood and, you know, like kind of like, you know, slumming it out and this is our lifestyle. There was an element of that in terms of like, I couldn't afford a lot of things that some of the other like other richer people just in within the surrounding areas we used to I came across some similar similar problems to them in terms of like witnessing um you know in our block of flats I'd witnessed domestic violence obviously those early days as well there was knife crime about you know it was more knife crime than gun crime and that was around you know that was around you know I lost I lost my uncle to a, a, a knife when I was very very young you know so I, that was around but then there was also you know like you don't have to fall into these traps you can do stuff you can set up a business like if these guys can end up living in 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 these houses these houses are not far from me it's not mm. like um across the pond or something you know like one day i want to have a family and i want to have a house and i don't want to raise my, my 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 children in a in a two bedroom flat you know my mom my mom is my mom was from ghana she was born and raised in ghana she came over here she came with like very little like she came with very little basically and she made something of herself so watching her being able to doing cleaning job to cleaning job to cleaning job saving up her money and being able to build property in ghana you know watching wow. her and, and having the way she used to trade and stuff like that she made a a situation which could have could have been like really negative positive i had no choice i had no choice but to follow in her footsteps and say, actually, you know what? This is temporary. Yeah, we live in this environment and yeah, it's too small for us, but it's temporary. If we work hard and we put our, our minds together, look what mum's done, you know? She's got, she, she she started off with like a three bedroom um, house in Ghana and then she went and had a six bedroom house and now she's got a 12 bedroom house in Ghana. Like, like watching my mum do that through just cleaning, saving and just being really frugal and, and smart with her money enabled me to say you know what this is temporary so um back to your original que question in terms of like how i related one of the reasons why i related a lot to hip-hop and rap music is because it was black you know and i didn't feel like earlier on it was kind of like in growing up in the uk there wasn't really like a uh there was Rodney p and stuff like that but i wasn't exposed to it because it was more kind of underground especially where i was it more into the pop side of things. So the people that I got to hear that I identified with that looked like me that were making music were mainly the American rappers. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, I mean, I could, I mean, I'm not a, like, in terms of like my voice, my vocal quality of singing, I'm not great, but I could have turned into anything because I loved music. I could have been a rock singer. I could have been a pop singer. I could have been, you know, hip hop was, I chose hip hop because I most identified with the people who were making hip hop yeah. as opposed to, you know, it's just like, what I'm, like I make all kinds of music. Like I like classical music. Yeah, I like same. listening to just piano, you know, piano is my favorite instrument. And yeah. sometimes I can listen to piano for just hours. It's not just hip hop. And that was how it was back in the days when I was a kid. So yeah, I really chose hip hop as my vehicle because I identified with the people who were prominent making it at the time. Yeah, amazing, man. It made so much to digest from that. So you had like the exposure to good and bad environments within London, Definitely. which is one of the benefits of being in a city, right? You see, yeah. the, you see the best of life and exactly. the worst of life. Exactly. You had the inspiration from your mum who's doing yeah. amazing things. Yeah. Um, but you also had the exposure to that, what sounds like quite a traumatic event with your uncle. Yeah. Um, did you always see music as your vehicle for getting you to that better place? Um, I just, I just kind of like, 
I never really saw music as the vehicle for getting me to a better place. I knew. Well, like, I, when, I, did you, when did you start like actually rapping and writing songs and so realizing you're any good? The rapping started before I knew I was rapping. Okay. So basically, I used to just like I used to mess around in school quite a lot. You know, I did well academically, but I was the one that you know sometimes you know early days of school, my teacher would pull me aside and be like, listen. Yeah, I mean, you need to behave because if you behave, everyone else kind of behaves. Yeah, yeah I mean, you set the tone, you set the pace yeah. a lot of the time for the Ring for later. the other students. Yeah, so <laughs> so what I used to do is I used to change the words of like nursery rhymes from very young. You know what I mean? There'll be a nursery rhyme and I'll throw, throw, throw a few rude words in there. You know what I mean? I didn't realise at the time I was remixing because I was making it rhyme. I was making like my, my own versions. Oh, man, I, I can't even remember, to okay. be honest. But um, I used to just like, do my own versions of nursery yeah. rhymes and make people laugh. <laughs> people used to chuckle at that. And um, and then there came a time where I was kind of like, I had an organ and then I had a keyboard and I really wanted to like produce and produce music for yeah. singers and, and, and artists. I wanted to find artists. That was my thing. I, I looked at like how Quincy Jones was with Michael Jackson. And, you know, I never thought about being Michael Jackson. I thought about being Quincy Jones. Yeah, yeah I mean, even from a very young age, I kind of like... I was like I was like the one that would gather people and be like, all right, cool. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do this, you do that, and I'll put it all together. That was my mentality. But coming up quite early in um, hip-hop, what ended up happening with the rap stuff for me, uh, uh, the honest truth was I, I just started rapping until I could find a, a better rapper. That was the mm. thing. It was kind of like, all right, cool, look. I've got some beats, I've got some instrumentals. Let me rap over them myself, kind of like as a filler, you know? But what ended up happening is I played my raps to people and they'd be like, no, you're quite good. You know what I mean? Like, you're, 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 you're quite good. And I'll be yeah. like, yeah, cool. But, you know, when I find somebody who's able to do this, then and then time went on and then time went on and I ended up joining a big a big group similar to Wu-Tang, like 11 member group um, based between Hornsey and Tottenham a group called One, it was 11 of, 11 of us. And I was one of the youngest in the group. And I was kind of seen as the kind of like, like the producer, one of the producers. There was like three of us, three main producers, I'd say. Well, four four main producers, but I was one of the key producers. And the other, the, the, the other guys that were really good at rapping, they were kind of like the guys I was looking for from very young. They were like technically brilliant at rapping, you know? And... But what ended up happening is, you know, I'm I'm quite competitive. So I'd rap every now and then, but I felt like, you know, I wasn't being credited as much for my raps. And people would be vocal about it as well. Like, yo, Sway, man, like, yo, like, we love your beats, but maybe you should, like, stick to doing more beats than rapping. Really? Yeah. So it was kind of like, for me, at that point, I was like, I'm never someone that likes being told what to do. So th th I started rapping more. I started making more beats. I started rapping more and getting involved. And what ended up happening is when people would cite the group, I'd always get picked out as one of the favorite rappers. And it was really strange for other members of the group sometimes because mm. even I could admit to this day, like maybe not now, but at that time, technically there was rappers that were better than me in the group. But it was there was something different about my approach to rapping. Maybe because I, I didn't try so hard. Maybe because I had the comedic element that made people laugh in in the lyrics but I always ended up standing out and then there came a time where it was like I was one of the youngest in the group I was doing a lot of the leg work 
um, a lot of the production, a lot of the the um, rapping as well. And I just felt like I wasn't getting the respect. You know, I just felt like this this is not moving forward for me. Yeah. So I left the group. And when I left the group, the whole thing disbanded. Huh, you know? yeah. so, yeah. And we had some really great people in that group, man. We had, um, we had um, uh, Pirelli. Yeah. Who I who I continued to work with. Yeah. He was actually the youngest in the group. I was the second youngest. Then we had um Al Shucks, who's gone on to become like a massive producer. Yeah. Um he 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 was one of the main producers. Now he was the only one in the group that wasn't from Tottenham or Hornsey. He was all the way from Shepherd's Bush. But what it was is a, a member of our our group had got a, a it got a scholarship to go yeah. to a private school and he ended up meeting Al Shucks in the private school okay, nice. and bringing Al Shucks down. So Al Shucks was kind of like, he was from like a good background. Like, you know, we'd go to his house in Shepherd's Bush and be like three, four floors. You know what I mean? Like and it was the first time we'd be like, whoa, man, like this guy's living and he have his own bedroom up on the top floor. I mean, he's gone on to produce, yeah, he produced Empire State of Mind for Jay-Z. No way. And I didn't know that. Yeah, and the and the, uh, the Black Panther record for Kendrick Lamar. This is the main wow. record. He's won Grammys. Like, he's he's massive now. He produced Little Derek for me as well. So he was one of the producers I kind of, like, cited as, um, like, someone I'd continue working with. Um, Amazing. Yeah, so, so, yeah, with the group... I ended up being the one that was like um, most prominent when it came to rapping, um, most popular, and you know, no no shade on the group, man, because I still think to this day that like some of the people in that group, some of the greatest rappers I'd ever come across, but even mate, to this day. It's so fascinating hearing you say that, man. It's it's like that competitiveness that you need that's going to push you forward. Like I've yeah. had athletes on here in the past who yeah. have even in the media and, and quite openly publicly been kind of like really dislike one another but yeah. because you've got that competitiveness with one, one another you push each other to that next level yeah i think that's that's clearly it's something happened there it's important man and even even with that like even i, I used to doubt myself like rap wise as well like i used i used to not really know what it was exactly i had a lot of bravado in my rap but it was kind of like it was it was clothing an insecurity because of this whole kind of first of all you weren't meant to be the rapper and you ended up being the rapper. When you did become the rapper, you had some resistance to you rapping. So I just always used to push myself. So yeah. I entered open mic competitions nice. and I'd go far and sometimes I'd lose, but then I'd always, I'd, I'd always come back stronger, you know? So that kind of like, I'm somebody who's always had that whole thing of like, if I have, if I want to do something, I'll decide if I want to do it or not. You won't dictate to me whether I'm capable of doing it or not. Because if I believe I'm capable of doing it, then I'm just gonna make it happen. Yeah, you know, and you're gonna be witness to it. Oh, mate, amazing! I love it. And do you know what? That's it's all part of the education, isn't it? And I yeah. think like one of the first things that you said that I picked out there was that you you formed the group between yeah. people who are like minded and interested in the same thing. Yeah, between people in Crouch End and Tottenham and Hornsey. Yeah. yeah, and I think that that's what people who love something and are passionate about something should try and do more often is like surround yourself with them people. Definitely. You've obviously gone on to to leave the group for whatever reason. You've yeah. spoken about that there. But something that kind of stands out for me with with how I saw you from the outside looking in, and mm -hmm. it's interesting to hear how much went on behind the scenes, which yeah. is was always more than what people think. But for me, from the outside looking in, you were one of the first big UK rappers that came up in the scene, which was heavily dominated by the US. And yeah. you, you spoke about that in your lyrics a lot as well, yeah, about but, how yeah, yeah. that kind of always tried to overshadow the UK. And yeah. I think what I wanted to speak to you about is kind of 
the process of that first album. Yeah. There's a couple of tracks on there already. You've, you've talked about Little Derek. I like, yeah. that, that's my favourite song of yours oh, ever you, still, mate. I, so much, I used to literally just listen to that and repeat. But yeah, I want to ask you specifically something about this song, Little, yeah. Little Derek. But if you just talk to us about the process of getting that album put out, that'd be awesome. Well, this is my demo. I've always kind of like, I've always been somebody that's always exceeded my expectations. And that's not because I set the bar low. It's just because I, I, I operate on belief. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I operate on belief that things are possible. Yeah. Um, with This is my demo. So basically what it was is, as I wanted to get closer into the music industry, I decided that like, I, I still wanted to be like Quincy Jones, Dr. Dre. I still wanted to do the kind of production, but I needed to understand how the business worked. I got a taste of it from the one project. We released an uh, um, album called Wonderful World, where we pressed up about a thousand copies initially and we would sell them you know what i mean on the street five yeah. or each and for me that was money like that was more than working in retail you know what i mean you'd sell a, a hundred out of five you know what i mean you were all right you know so like we were doing that and i was like there must be a way to get this stuff into the shops you know so literally i joined up a street team um a street team well i got a position on the street team street team member is basically someone that hands out flyers for a record label and I was handing out flyers for, I think it was Sony at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was handing out flyers. And what I was doing is every time I w- there needed to be like a delivery of CDs to a radio station, I'd opt to do it because I wanted to know where the radio station was and I wanted to know who the person was Amazing. to give the music to. Yeah. So I'd do that. And then this is where, it, this is where my kind of like um, nursery rhyme skills came into play. Yeah. So there was one point in the earlier days where I was like, I need to get my name known, you know. Not a lot of people knew me as Sway. You know what I mean? They just knew me as a street team guy. Some people didn't know my name. But I needed to get my my name out there as an artist. You know what I mean? I wanted to I wanted to people to play my music. So there was this record that came out called Tipsy. Everybody in the club got to get tipsy. Um by a guy called Jay Kwan. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna flip this, make a more comedic version called Pepsi, where I'm talking about everyone not getting drunk and, and, and how crazy crazy things people do when they get drunk. <laughs> and what I did is I found out where where the packaging was done for like the original record and I mimicked the packaging, but I did Sway versus Jay Quant, Pepsi, official remix. And so I deliver my official remix, which was unofficial to radio stations. And that's how I got on radio. Because no literally radio DJs, just thought it was an official thing, like a UK artist has done a version and I started getting played. So it was only when I went, like I went into the offices and they were like, like, if you've given your music to like radio, cause they're playing it and people are liking it. And you know, that's <laughs> how it kind of started. So I was like, I was like, I'm going to do like a whole mixtape of like, of, of, of under sway. But the thing is, I still want to do this whole kind of like producer stuff. So it's not necessary for people to meet me and know that I'm sway. So I need a way to kind of like, like be kind of like um, undercover with it. So I chose to cover my face. Initially, I was just going to cover my face with just a, a balaclava or a bandana, but then I thought, thought it was going to, it was going to be too negative. It was going to, you see that straight away and you yeah. automatically think hood rap or gangster rap. So I was like, the Union Jack would yeah. be a good way to kind of like, because it's striking, you know, you see a young black man with a Union Jack around his face. So like a lot of like historically, the Union Jack has been associated with a lot of yeah. racism and stuff like that. So you see that like a 
young black man like covering his face with a union jacket. It's kind of striking. So I'd done that for a photo shoot and I was like, I saw the pictures, I looked back at the pictures and I was like, you know what? I'm going to run with this. I'm not going to show my face on any of the CD covers. I'm going to always wear this thing. And that way I can do my business as Derek, as like the manager, and then do the rapping stuff as Sway until I can sign some other rappers. So I always had it in my mind that I was going to still find other talent. And um, I said I was going to not give my demo tapes to record companies. I was going to give my demo directly to the people and sell it to the people. And that's why I called my first album, This, this Is My demo. demo. You know what I mean? Because it was like, I never wanted to get signed as a rapper. I never wanted to be the artist. So it was like, what's the point of giving my demo tape to record companies when I don't want it, when I want to be a record company? I want to be that, you know? So recording that whole album, you know, it was just, it was it just came so easy and naturally. Yeah. And recording the mixtapes that, that led up to the album, again, they always kept on overperforming. We'd put out the mixtapes and they were supposed to be like a taster. But then they'd do so well, then I put out another mixtape and that was supposed to be like a lead into the album. But then they'd do the numbers that we had anticipated for the album. So when I got to album time, to be totally honest with you, like when we had, by the time we had got to album time, it was kind of like I was living in a weird dream, you know, because... I'd had no real guidance in terms of how I get to certain places. It just all kept on happening. So I'd won an I'd won a mobile award before I'd released my first album. What was that while, for? Um, it was best hip hop act in two thousand and five. Just from demos. Just from the, the mixtapes. The mixtapes, yeah. Before I'd released my first album, I sold like prob possibly maybe four or five times the amount that I intended to sell on the mixtapes. And I'd, I'd kind of like, I'd overachieved so much and it was all happening so quick. And I still had in my mind that this was only temporary and eventually I was going to set up a record label mm -hmm. and sign acts. But then ego took over, you know? I started getting a lot of attention as an artist and I started losing my way in terms of like setting up my record company and, and, and building, you know? I kind of like, man, I kind of enjoy this, you know? Like, I started doing more things that were out of character for me, you know. Um, I started chasing the success a lot more. I started thriving off the fact that I was able to be mentioned with people who were signed to record labels and had big budgets behind them. And I didn't have much behind me, but I was on the level of them that gave my ego a, uh, a, it gave my ego a boost. So I started riding a wave where I wasn't totally happy for a moment in time, you know? So even like every single time I'd go to an award show or something like that, it was kind of be, you know, some people would look forward to having to perform or having to do this or having to do that. A lot of the time I was kind of like, you know what? I'd rather just get on with it, you know? I'd rather just go back to the studio and get on with making music. Mm -hmm. I wasn't really cut out for celebrity life, you know? And I started to get noticed, you know, after a while, it became annoying to me. So I'd be like Tesco's and so on. Well, oh, Sway, what's happening? And I'd be like, I'm grateful, but it's a bit annoying, you know, because mm. I like, I was, I'm never, I'm not that person. I'm, I'm pretty much a recluse naturally, you know what I mean? I'm a person that likes to be around my friends, my family, and people who are creative and like minded. Yeah. I don't just like being in crowds of people. And, and furthermore, I don't like being in crowds of people where I'm the center of attention. You know, I just feel uncomfortable with it. So 
I was going through a lot of a mental battle through the early days of um, Sway. The bandana thing didn't matter as much anymore. Everyone knew what I looked like through yeah. the videos now. So the bandana thing was just like, it wasn't a hidden thing anymore. It was just part of the image. And then... Um, Do you know what, man? I'd love, I'd love to... Because that's a big subject. I'd love to talk it, about the like the, some of the mental struggles a bit later on, if that's Yeah, right. of course, yeah. Just to dial back. Of like, course. I found it really interesting you said about the Union Jack bandana. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is obviously like, it's a, kind of like a trademark thing, wasn't it, at the time? Yeah. I remember when I watched the game at Hammersmith Apollo. Yeah. And it came out of a Union Jack hoodie. Okay. And like immediately, obviously the whole crowd, he just won them over. Just yeah. with that single yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is yeah. such a statement piece. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's awesome man it's interesting to hear you obviously like you were one of the people who started that thing off as well yeah definitely yeah um, mate the ego thing man yeah like such a big th- topic as well like yeah it will link nicely onto the question that I have nice. on little Derek as well so okay. ego is something we talk about a fair bit on the podcast because it yeah. links in with some of the mental challenges and when people are achieving stuff and they are peak performers naturally they get more attention yeah so I remember I read a book called Ego is the Enemy which okay. is written by a guy called Ryan Holiday. And I remember reading it. And before I read that book, I, f- I thought that I didn't have an ego. Oh, wow. I just, okay. I just, because I didn't really understand what it was. What it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. thought it was people like, yeah. if they say, oh, you've got a big ego, yeah. it's just like, they're just trying to slag you off or yeah. whatever. But yeah. I read it, I was like, shit, I've got a fucking big ego. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was a massive, like, it was a massive moment in my life where I was like, okay, right, I've got to figure this out. And I've, I've gone through a lot of processes and practices and, um, different types of like whether it's therapy or yeah. um, retreats various retreats where Imagine. they do different stuff and like conversations with people where you start to understand more of these things and mm-hmm. and a lot of it does come down to the ego mm-hmm. like you notice emotions that flare up at different times because your ego is like resisting or yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or being attracted to a particular thing yeah one of the things that comes up frequently with these like conversations or mm-hmm. retreats or whatever it is that we're doing mm-hmm. some of it could be like a guided meditation mm-hmm. or, or breath work stuff i don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever practiced any of this stuff before but no one of the things that comes up like quite frequently is basically becoming more familiar with the younger version of yourself yeah which yeah. is why i think and i didn't probably wasn't too conscious of it at the time but why i think i resonated so much with little derek because okay the song is about the little, the younger yeah, version of you yeah, within yeah, yourself, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just kind of wanted to get a bit of an idea around the process of writing that song, what the inspiration was, and whether that was like a conscious thought from you around you speaking to your younger self. Yeah. Well, you know what it was? Little Derek wasn't as clever as it might have sounded it was, like sounded like it was. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a thinker. I think a lot. A lot of my album was based on thought. When I recorded Up Your Speed, I was like, you know what? There's all these Americans around and all of them was New York this and New York. Nobody's ever said Wellingborough on a record. No. You know what I mean? Nobody's ever said Yeovil on a record. Nobody's, you know, I've been touring around the UK and I've been going to places that have never been represented in a song, let alone a rap song. And so I'm going to do this song. So it was, it was kind of like, um, it was a, planned it was very kind of like was it yeah like up your speed was planned it was a record that i wanted to make for the uk and make people stand up and make people feel like you know what yeah we got some representation in hip-hop through that record then there was flow fashion um which was all about like getting into credit card debt and stuff like yeah. that i wanted to highlight some of the things that i was seeing going Amazing. on around me especially in the environment that i was i was so it was planned it was all a lot of thinking the album was finished and done. And then Shucks, our Shucks played me the little Derek beat. And I was like, oh man, let me all right, let me try something over this. 
and the record just virtually wrote itself. You know what I mean? It was just one of those, I probably wrote the whole thing like 15 minutes or something like that. Like it was a super quick no and it was like, let's throw this on the album. So it wasn't, it was an add-on onto the album. <laughs> and what ended up, what ended up happening is where I, sometimes when I let go of the thinking and don't think too much, like there's some things that I do that are calculated, but sometimes when I let go of the thinking, then my truth speaks. So the story of Little Derek was my truth at the time. And it came through me so easily because I'd let go. It wasn't intentionally, it wasn't going to be on the album. There was no kind of expectation on that record was going to be. The first line, I, I, I kind of like do stuff with my voice, but the first line went higher, higher pitched than I initially wanted it to go. Really? And I thought, this is, sounds cool. I'm just going to do the whole song like this. So the whole, like, cool, fine. Like that was all kind of like by accident but I just carried it on and it made the song catchy. Yeah. So afterwards, when I was pray, playing the record to my team and like, oh man, I might add this on the album. Everybody was like, nah, that's that's a single actually. You know what I mean? And I was just, I just let go of it and it's like, you know what? Wow. All right, cool. Everybody seems to like this. Like, so let's make it a single. So back to your original question, the story wasn't like, when I listen back to it now or when I used to perform it at the time, then I started gauging more about what I was trying to say to myself mm. in terms of like the struggles I was going through as somebody trying to make it in in this kind of in these different kind of realities and and the American thing happening and you know I always had this thing of where like American artists were so massive and huge and looked at as these titans but I felt like technically we were just as good. And I couldn't, and I, and I couldn't allow it in my own heart or my own mind to to just be quiet about it. I didn't want to be like a great UK rapper. If I'm gonna do rap, everything I want to try out, everything I want to do, I want to be the best at it. I, I just want to be the best at it. I don't want to be the best in the UK. I don't want to be the best in Harringay or the best in London. I'm just always gonna try and be the best, and that's why that's why I said what I said. And little Derek when I was like when you do UK rap you're number two because the yeah. USA ain't gonna because I felt like every time I came across US rappers you know they'd only use UK artists um, for their remix versions the international version mm. they'd feature to be honest before my record with Lupe Fiasco on his album Lasers I, I, I can't remember there probably was but I can't remember a US artist putting a UK rapper on their main release in America, you know? Cause when I went onto um, Lupe's album, um, Lasers, when he asked me to be on the album, I didn't even realize I was the only rap feature on the whole album. Right. And that went to number one in the billboard, you know? And that was like genuine. And that's and that was kind of like a wish of of little Derek, you know, like being mm -hmm. regarded, you know? This is, Lupe didn't, wasn't doing it as a UK remix. This was on his main album where I flew out to New York and performed that Web Webster Hall with him. You know, so it was kind of like it manifested that hope to get, even when we did the BET hip hop cypher, it wasn't like a, I mean, now it's a bit different. They're doing like international cyphers. I was in the, just the main cypher with Saigon yeah, and Remy Ma and, 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 and US respected artists, you know, and that was very important for me to always be seen on the, on the same level because I felt like technically we've always been as good. Oh, 100%, man, 100%. That cypher was unreal, by the way. Thank it's so you, cool, isn't it? Like, I want to ask you about the... I oh, mean, I could speak to you for hours. <laughs> I love all this stuff. 
I think just to talk about the little Derek thing, it's interesting you say like now you listen to it and it kind yeah. of takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? And that's, yeah. that's like what perennial success is, you know, timeless success when you listen back to things and it takes on a different meaning, a different yeah. message each time. Um, and the other interesting thing you said as well was like letting go and surrendering. Yeah. When you just get in that flow yeah. state. I can't believe, man, it took you 15 minutes to write that. Oops super quick whereas you have a record like Pretty Ugly Husband on the album which is like about domestic violence which I must have rewrote maybe like maybe like 20 times really? or something yeah it took yeah. a lot to try and capture that it was a lot more thought that went behind it but Little Derek nah it was proper easy mm, proper easy man. yeah the other thing I loved is it kind of ties back into some of the stuff I wanted to speak to you about with your when you're delivering the flyers and yeah. everything seemed to be strategic and have a vision yeah and I think like I like to think of myself of having that as well. Like everything's done for a reason. Yeah. It's not like, it's not just done for the sake of it. There's mm -hmm. always an idea as to whether you're helping someone or helping yourself or yeah. trying to elevate yourself. And I think obviously the, the Up Your Speed song was another banger that had loads of success in the UK. And yeah. I remember it touching, touching me because I grew up, I was born in Luton, but grew okay. up about, 15 20 minutes from Milton Keynes, okay. So, like, all I my friends, yeah, 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 yeah. Milton Keynes yeah. was in like the chorus, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, like yeah. Everyone loved it because yeah, it was, yeah. the, like I said, the first time, yeah, Milton Keynes had ever been represented, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I think, like, when people that, that can be taken away by anyone, you know, if people were building businesses or definitely, um, even if I talked to my mate Ben Sorgana who introduced yeah, us, of course, yeah, we were talking yesterday about his book club he's got an amazing book club mm -hmm. uh, and how he's going to grow that and i think about it myself with the podcast because it's heav heavily london-based listeners mm -hmm. how do you start to to grow that yeah so it's really interesting you said just like just name dropping and representing that and showing some love there is going to help with your success definitely well. yeah man you got to speak things into existence like i knew the power of the word before i knew that there was power in the word you know like literally i was speaking loads of things into his into existence Without knowing it, I was tapping into like different frequencies without even knowing it, just from the will of my intention. It's like, as I've got older, I mean, I did it like later down the line, later in my career, I started to do it more kind of like calculated, but then I hated it. Mm. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't enjoy, I didn't enjoy it. Like I had a, I had a record called Level Up. Now, this was just kind of like skipping like the story that this is my demo really successful in terms of where UK rap was at at the time it was like you, you you couldn't get much higher in terms of like numbers and stuff like that without a label as well now it's kind of like it's just a whole different ball game but for that time where there was not a lot of radio support I mean I, I was so lucky I had so so many great people in the mainstream radio I'd never had a playlist on Radio 1 but I'd had so many great supporters like um, people like Zane Lowe mm -hmm. and um, um, Reggie Yates when he was there and Fern Cotton, like people, genuine supporters that would slip me in there, you know, and, 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 and support me, Mr. Jam. I mean, there's too many to say, like great um, people and one extra had my back as well, you know. So I'd never had like a mainstream playlist, but I was getting some mainstream recognition just off the back of the fact that my, my cup was overflowing for the kind of market that I was that I was in. Um, but then there came a time where I went into like a, a depression. A lot of things went into happening in my life. I had lost people around me. People, Some people had passed away. It just kind of all happened at the same time. I'd, I'd lost people, like people had, had died around me from ver through various reasons. And- um, Was that, was one of those your uncle? 
No, that so was before. Was yeah, it? that was my childhood. Um, so what was this example? What happened? Here? This this was, um, I had two business partners that I was involved in. And um, one of them was stabbed in um, central London. One was stabbed to death in central London. And another one had died of natural causes. I think it might have been either malaria or meningitis. Um, and they, I mean, they were they were guys that believed in my vision and on the initial on the the first album we had collaborated together and done some stuff and um, so that was hard i had a really close friend who was on the scene as well um she died in a car crash um i had a cousin in ghana you know who was like one of my my biggest fans he had passed away as well in ghana from like a stomach cancer it was just all happening at the same time it was literally like unrelated, just like my life was just like going into a weird place. Um, that was the time where I was like involved with Akon and, and you know, traveling around the world and seeing different things. But I was just in a bad, really, really bad mental space. Like outside looking in, people would have thought you were blowing up, having the best time of your life. Definitely. I mean, especially through the Akon period, because obviously, again, like today you would see like a, a UK artist like like with Drake, yeah. like, and people would see it as like, yeah, it's, I mean, it, and it is amazing because it's a different level now, you know, guys are, you know, uh, some of our UK artists are selling out big arenas. At a time when I was rolling with Akon, he was the biggest urban star on the planet, but there was no Snapchat, there was no Instagram. So people weren't seeing what I was actually seeing, mm. being behind the scenes and watching the way he was maneuvering and building up the Lady Gaga thing. Like I was there for all of that. Yeah, I mean, the transition from him working on the kind of music he was working on to working with David Guetta and sitting with David Guetta in a in a hotel reception, waiting for Akon to come down. Like, all of these things, people never saw the circles I was in, but in in my mind, you know, even there was one time where Akon went on tour with Rihanna and, you know, he asked me to come out there and I couldn't even enjoy myself because a few days later I had to bury my cousin come back and bury my cousin. So I was there and I was trying to soak up the atmosphere. I mean, one thing about Akon is being around him, he always knew that I wanted to learn. So he'd always keep me close and this is how I'm doing this and this is how I'm doing that. That's how I'm building my business. Like him, Giorgio Twine for the world, super producer. He ended up being one of my main men mentors, gave me so much knowledge, showed me so much stuff. But I was just in such a like, I was living like two different personalities because outside I was kind of like sway, getting into stuff, trying to make new records. But then I was going through a lot personally. And also what I was saying earlier on about the fact that I felt like, like a, what what's the term? Is it a deer in headlights? Yeah. Yeah, I felt like just like, this is all a bit much. And then this is happening in, in my life as well. It, it, got, it got to the point where I shut down. My body shut down, my immune system shut down and I got super ill. You know, I got, I, I got diagnosed with something called Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of cancer, you know, like extremely, yeah, like t 2009. So the outside world, again, I just released FURX and things seemed like they were bubbling. I just released the record with Akon, but then I got hit with that. And I tell you now, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. You know, like, and, and, and not a lot of people would could say that having a cancer, it was caught really early. I still had to go through the whole chemotherapy, everything a lot of people didn't know. I mean, it's out there. If you if you follow my career like closely, I've left signs to let people know that I'd gone through this. But like, 
I, like they say that nobody really knows the cause, but I just knew that my body was run down. I was run down. I was mentally in a bad place. So I was susceptible to anything that could have happened to me, you know, because I, I was not only run down and really going through stuff, but I was I had no outlet for it. Everything on the outside was still looking rosy and like things were well. And that's what made me further ill. But when it happened, it just put everything in perspective in terms of like my business started to slow down, music, you know, things started going downhill. We're now in the era of now, like I was seen as like a more channel U type artist as opposed to the, the new kind yeah, of like yeah. tiny temper and, and, and Tinchy Strider. And there was other artists that were kind of like the next generation. I was, even though I was young, cause I came in quite young, I was still young in age, but I was still seen as like one of the early guys. And I had to take time to really f rediscover myself. I started seeing the things that were important around me. I mean, like, you know, there was a chance. I mean, I, I came into remission really quickly, which was promising. I, and thank God, this is 10 years ago now. And obviously, i am it been in the all clear um, ever since. But at the time, you just like, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, and the doctors tell you all the time, you don't know what's going to happen next. Like, you could react well to it. You might not react well to it. Then we might have to do something else. And something else, it was a scary thing, yeah. you know. But it was like a blessing because all of the things that I was worried about in terms of like, music career and stuff like that i started like looking at life differently i started looking at my family differently you know i'd been on the road and and doing music in the studio and and kind of like missed five years of connecting with my siblings you know my missus my, my wife now who was my girlfriend then was she didn't waver in her support you know, like she showed me that like whatever was going to happen, she was going to be by my side. And I started, some people dropped off once the once I stopped doing shows and stuff like that. Some calls stopped coming in. But that was all a blessing because it enabled me to see who was really there for me. I just like everything about life I looked at differently. And then after I went into um, remission and I knew I was going to be well, I was kind of like, right, back to what it is you want to build. Like you've got to build something that's, bigger than you you've got to build something that's bigger than you've always wanted to do this you've got to build something that's bigger than one artist but then I had n not much relevancy in the scene in terms of like I didn't have uh, as much um like I didn't have as much sway um in the industry because everything was new and you know I was seen as one of the more channel you artists so I just thought the way I'm going to get relevancy back is by getting in the charts you know and at that time now I've, I've been two years kind of like out of action doing mixtape stuff and not really been on getting mainstream support I was like I'm gonna get a top 20 record and that's gonna put my name back into the frame and then I'm gonna build a record label and I'm gonna sign some some I'm gonna sign some artists and I'm gonna develop them and I'm gonna turn them into something mm -hmm. that was the plan so I went around to I was like the only thing I haven't done so far is I've never signed to a record label. So I don't actually know what it's like to actually be taken care of as an artist, mm -hmm. actually have somebody go like, and have relationships with the mainstream radio. I've never had that. And you have to remember that I've built my whole initial career off the back of being independent. So it was kind of like when I went around to record labels, initially it was like a, it was like coming back in with your tail between your legs. You know, some people found it amusing that, oh man, like, wow, like, you know, you turned down offers here and now you're here looking for a deal 
You know, it was kind of like, it was, but, but I swallowed my pride because I'd gone through something a lot more serious than than my, my ego being bruised from someone like, you, you don't want to give me a deal? Fair enough, fair play. So I did end up doing a deal. Um, it was a really, like, it was a cheap deal. It was, a, you know what I mean? But they, but big up the label, they took a chance because they were just like, you know, you still sway, you still got the respect out there. DJs love you. What you got, you know? And that's when I came out with um, Still Speed and I tell a lie, I wanted to get a number 37 in the charts because Little Derek was 38 yeah. and 37 <laughs> would mean that I would have topped my last position, my last highest chart in position. And look, we're talking about the top 40 here. Now, like, artists are doing top 40 in their sleep. But that time, a rap record in the top 40 wasn't that common, you know? So I recorded this record called Still Speed and which was all about what I'd just gone through, but people didn't know it at the time. Because yeah. of Up Your Speed, I felt like Up Your Speed was my last moment where I felt great, where I felt like I was enjoying myself. After that, I felt like everything else was kind of like a bit of a daze in a dream world. So I decided to call this st record Still Speeding to pick up where I left off and pick up off that energy. And the things I say in the record, people would not know it was, it was, it was about me, my medical situation. So I said that even when my BP rises, you know, like, I wouldn't like, I'll never run out of petrol. I was using the analogy of the BP station, yeah, yeah. also my blood pressure as well, because I was checking my blood pressure all of the time mm. and hoping that it wouldn't rise. So when I listen back to that song, it, it it's a celebrate, it's a, it's a record where I celebrated the success of coming out of that illness. So I went in when I was just hoping to get a top 40 with that record. Amazing, man. And I ended up getting top 20. And it ended up being my first top 20. Where did and it go? End up, um, 19 or 18. 18. It ended up being Sick. my first top 20 and it ended up being um, my most successful record at the time and my first playlist on, on Radio 1 ever. No way. Yeah, After literally. Who, who, what was the original? Like, Was it just you or was there a feature on the original? On Still Speeding? Yeah. On, what do you mean? Up Your Speed or Still Speeding? On Still Speeding. Still Speeding was just me. Yeah, because there's loads of remixes. Yeah, there? so I had I had tons of remixes. I had a remix <laughs> with Kano. Lupe. Um, yes, I had a remix with Lupe. <laughs> yeah, but like, see that... See, that record meant so much to me because it brought me back into the conversation. And then at that point, so I've always had this thing where I feel like I've, I kind of can see the patterns of when somebody's going to be successful and how to help that person, mm -hmm. you know? So I really, I really discovered Mr. Hudson early, yeah. for example, and, mm -hmm. and put Mr. Hudson onto yeah, the, the people who he got signed to. Um, I worked with Ed Sheeran, fetal stages. You know what I mean? Like I helped with the, the number five collaborations that he'd done. I jumped on that. Really? I made a few. I was on that record. Which one was that? Number five. The first the, collaborations where we had Wiley on it, P Money uh, on it. Okay. So I was on that. I made a few phone calls on for him as well to get other artists on it. I just liked his energy and I just felt like he was going to be massive. No you know, so, you know. I, Do you still speak with Ed now? I haven't spoke to him in maybe like two years. Yeah. You know, but like, I mean, it was always going to be love, you know. And, um, you know, he came down to my house. We talked about what the plan was going to be. And, you know, I've always had this. So I'm always like somebody like, like that's been known to pick up on talent quite early. And I was like, I haven't never put that into what my plan was to sign something or sign someone um, new. So after Still Speeding, I had another record. And now this record was technical. You know, it was really technical. It was like the follow-up single Again, it, it goes back to the whole 
what my initial point was before I kind of went off and <laughs> and, and, and filled in the, the the cracks. But like what my initial plan was was to kind of re-engage with people. And the sound at the time that was really good was dubstep. But I didn't want to do something over too much like like straight dubstep. I wanted someone who was unique. And so I came across Flux Pavilion, you know, and I just liked his style. So I contacted him quite early on. He had a few things on um, on YouTube that were doing well. And I was just like, I feel like this guy's going to be massive. And I hit him up and I was like, I'd love to do a record with you. And he was a fan. He was like, oh man, that'd be amazing. But I'm in uni at the moment and I don't finish <laughs> till a certain time. I was just like, I'll come up to your uni, you know? Like, I'll come up to your uni and do a record. Like, I need to do a record. I think, I, think, I feel like you're going to be massive. You know what I mean? If I wait too long, I'm not going to be able to get a record out of you. And he was like, I'll oh, come down. I went down to his uni and we did two records. We did one record called Level Up and we did one record for him. And um, I'd done that record. So this was before the Still Speeding thing. And I just felt like I needed to work with who I felt like was going to be the next producer. So we'd done that. And then so when the label asked me at the time, what's your next single? I was like, I've got this, Level Up. Just happened to land at the same time Flux Pavilion had got onto the Watch the Throne soundtrack with um, Jay-Z and yeah. Kanye West. And so now he was out of bounds. He was out of reach to any rapper. Rappers were trying to get his his beats left, right and centre. And he was just like, he was, so I kind of, the timing was just right. Yeah. And um, that came out and that ended up being a top 10. And I was like, all right, cool. Now that record was more kind of like, I wrote it to be a top 20 record. It was kind of like, there wasn't a lot of passion and love behind it. I wrote that record over maybe 25 times just to make sure that it was catchy enough for radio just because I needed to, it wasn't a, a record that came from the heart. It was like really well planned and it, everything happened. It overachieved from what the results were. And what ended up happening is I managed to get enough kind of like relevancy to start looking at actually finally signing some artists that I wanted to take to the next level. And then I signed two people. I signed a YouTuber called KSI. Yeah. And then I signed a artist, a singer called Tiggs the Author. And then that kind of led me onto the Sick. next chapter of my career. Amazing, man. Mate, I could sit here and just listen to you talk for all, the whole time. Good, 100%, mate. Now, I think one of the things I want to go back to is like when you were talking about dealing with your cancer and overcoming that and fighting that battle and like, it was just fascinating to hear, which is why I'm, I'm happy for you just to talk, mate, because it sounds yeah. amazing, but it's so fascinating to hear that you were like getting blown up by Akon, saying, come out, out to the show with us and Rihanna and all yeah. that. And ultimately what that, that low period for you allowed you to recognise that what happens to a lot of people as well is when they hit like a really difficult period is yeah. they recognise that actually everything that I really appreciate in life, I've already got it. Definitely. And that's kind of like you Definitely. were like well, my, my girlfriend or your wife now yeah. and all your friends and your family are around you and supporting yeah. you. You lost the ones that you knew weren't real anyway. Yeah. And I just think that's like such an important message that I just wanted to highlight again there because you, you spoke so well about it as well. And I appreciate you talking about the kind of the rock bottom bit physically just like yeah. overdoing it and yeah. I had my own experience of it where I basically ended up I was in America playing football yeah. uh, going out a lot drinking a lot training a lot loads of exercise yeah. and uh, when I moved back to London I basically got chronic fatigue oh, wow. like adrenal fatigue and I was just like out I couldn't do anything couldn't go out anymore I had to quit football and wow. all this stuff so I, I completely relate to your story of like yeah. when you just you're overdoing just drained it, yeah and you're kind of suppressing 
everything mm -hmm. anything that you're struggling with and suffering with you just like put it in a box mm -hmm. hide from it pretend it's not there mm -hmm. and through that suppression it ends up leading to things that are much worse which is why like one of the things i try and promote is people speaking more about whatever it is that they're Definitely. they're going through so Definitely. yeah i appreciate you uh, sharing that story mate no problem bro. the other thing i think as well which is really important to talk about is when it all happens at once because mm -hmm. you spoke there about like the people that you lost yeah. there was four or five really close relationships yeah. to you that you lost at the same time yeah I find that like when stresses and anxieties rise up, if it's like one or two things, you can yeah. kind of like, I know I can sit with myself and meditate or listen to some music yeah. or go for a run, go yeah. to the gym, and go and, it, yeah. Yeah, and get yeah. through it. But when it's like four, five, six, yeah. seven, the, the overwhelm comes. Yeah. Is there anything from your experiences like that you learn or that you practiced or that you have found out that you can recommend to people that if they are going through this kind of thing, they can try this and maybe it will help them? Just the way you look at things you know it's kind of like um i was thrown in the i was thrown in the deep end with what i went through it was one after one thing after the other after the other after the other but, but then i had to question like all right all of this is happening but i'm actually still here you know like i'm actually still here and the fact that i'm actually still here means that there's a way forward because if this was going to take me it was going to take me if this was going to break me in any way it was going to break me like like I'm actually still here. It's how you look at things is super important. How I started coping is by not by not focusing on the things that were hurting or or damaging me physically or mentally, but focusing on the things that could heal me and make me stronger. So like focusing on spending time with my family, reading a lot more. I started reading a lot more, listening to audio books from great people and you know, like business audio books, spiritual audio books. Like so, I'm, oh man, I'm, I'm a big fan of Eckhart Tolle. Um, I've, I've read a couple of his things, obviously Deepak Chopra, yeah. a lot of his stuff. I mean, there's probably not a kind of like spiritual um, um, author that you can name that I haven't checked out. Mm -hmm. Like I've okay. checked out so many different people because I listen on audio. I don't really like taking who they are, taking the messages yeah, that I yeah. catch on to. Um, and just like, seeing the world in a different light enabled me like things like money money is important yeah it is important but it's not like the be, be all and end all you know what i mean like human connection being able to to communicate with people being able to inspire people uplift people that is what we're here for essentially well that's what i feel like essentially i'm here for mm -hmm. i feel like that's my purpose so if a record comes out and it doesn't go into the charts that's not the end of the day, you know, like it's a, it means, it really means nothing anyway. You know, if I lose a bit of money on a, on a, on a business venture or something that I'm going to do, it's just a bit of money. It's not like that money is not the only money in all existence. It's all around. Yeah. I just need to find another way of making it back. And this time I won't make that mistake again because I've made that mistake and learned from it. So like there came a point where I was just kind of like unstoppable. It's like there was nothing there was nothing you could do to me to make me feel lower because I'd gone through so much, you know, and and, and I was able to find a positive angle on everything that was happening. So it was mindset, you know, and it's mindset that that's brought me to where I am today and what I'm trying to build, what I'm trying to build now. And a lot of people ask me like, oh, man, this is the time where the urban scene is thriving. And a lot of people that are, that are your peers are now like doing arenas and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm happy for them, but that was never my path. I would never, I never wanted to be the guy that that 
like was the superstar artist. I, I want to be the person that builds something that provides for many superstars, you know? Like I want to be, I want, I want to create music and I want to write literature and songs that are going to uplift people. I want people to listen to my new material and go away from that feeling stronger, you know, feeling like more empowered. And so I'm studying music on a different level. I'm studying notes and chord progressions that will make people feel better. I'm studying frequencies hmm. and I'm injecting all of that into my music now. When 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 the, the chapters, it's either called the next chapter or chapters, when that comes out, that's not going to be like an ordinary rap album. There's going to be different levels where you can consume that, that music, different ways you can consume it, different versions of how you can consume songs, different frequencies that certain songs are going to be recorded in. And I feel like that's my duty to do that because this is what has helped me. This is what's empowered me. I just feel like all the blessings that I've had in my life, they need to come through me and not just stay with me. You know, I just like, even, even, even there's, there's, I mean, there's so much more I could talk about where I'm hmm. taking it in the future. But that's why I say some of the things that have happened to me, although some things are unfortunate, there's nothing we could do about them. They've happened. They're meant to happen. So, yeah, they, they, of course they were meant to happen because they happened. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't mean that you should always, always accept something negative because you're like, oh, what will be, will be. You know, sometimes it is what you make it, you know? So if I decide, I could easily blame a lot of things on, on being ill and say, oh man, I, I don't want to do this because I was ill and, and this, but I could do that. But then who does that benefit? Yeah, no one. At the end of the day, nobody. I'd have to take from that situation and say, you know what? You know, next time you record an album, understand I have some songs that I've recorded and I won't say them, I'm like, man, I, f I don't like this record. I just made it and it's out there. I can never get that back. Yeah. All I can do now is understand that when I'm making a record, I can never get it back. So at this age of 37, make the kind of music that you want to last a lifetime. Mm. You know, that overthinking, all of that technical stuff that I was doing with trying to get into the charts. And yes, I, I achieved, but I'd much rather like, now when I'm writing music, I'm doing it in the same style as Little Derek. I'm not overthinking it. I'm just going in and vibing. I love it. And, and, and making sure the energy's get, like every song that's ever been like, this room is a like is, a, is the craziest room ever because every song, like I've written over, over 200 songs over the past five years that are not come to light yet because there needs to be a structure in the way they get released over the next decade, mm -hmm. you know? And they've all been written in this song. They've all existed. They've all just been in the air and I've just captured them. Sometimes when I feel like I'm forcing a record, I just leave. I go for a drive or I go and play with my kids or something like that. And then it will come back to me. Then I speed off back into the studio it, and lay it down. Still so speeding. Basically. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, so so there's no music that I'm doing now that I'm not actually like fully proud of. You but do you know what you're doing there, man? And I love it so much because you, you, you've just said it yourself there. Instead of aiming for the, the chart topper or whatever it is like that achievement, that goal that, you're de that you desire, you're going back to the process. Yeah. You're just doing it like the way you said you do it with little Derek in the flow yeah. state of, yeah. of, of just enjoying and loving the process yeah. and putting stuff out that you love. And then, so you, you spoke about like, as human beings, we all operate on different energies. Yeah different frequencies tap into us as human beings in a different way. 100%. So it's like chapters or next chapter. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit more about that? Because it's music, again, I spoke earlier about it, it can be even like a therapeutic thing for me. Like yeah. I put my headphones yeah. on and I'm like, I'm in a different place. Yeah. Or it's, it, it can transport you to locations that you have music and stuff as well. Yeah. So 
what gave you that idea to kind of like go with the kind of energies thing? It was from reading audio books. Yeah. I was, so reading a ton of audio books, which really uplifted my, my spirits and it had me thinking differently about life. I mean, I could, I could name, I could name you some books oh, that, please, have, mate, yeah. that have done like wonders for me, you know? That'd be awesome. Obviously, As a Man Thinketh by James Allen, that's just a great business book. Contagious by Jonah Berger. That was one that I really enjoyed. Okay, Contagious. Yeah. Okay. Eight Eight Pillars of Prosperity by James Allen. Obviously, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. Yeah. That's Robin Sharma. Yeah. Yeah, that's an amazing book. Um, There's more on my list. No, that's epic. They're great ones. But they're, they're books that... They, they're on there as audio books, but they're books that I listen to from time to time. So you're writing the music with the idea of like the frequency yeah. impacting people. No. So what it was is I was read I was reading a lot of these books, and I was feeling like you know what I feel like I could I'm I'm, I'm I love literature. I want to write a book. I really want to write a book, and I really want to write a book where I give like I feel so blessed in life. I feel so blessed that I've been able to go through what I've gone gone through and come come out the other side and 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 build the way and think the way that I'm thinking. I need to pass this energy on to other people. There might be people that need it. There might people be people that might need it now. There might be people that need it later down the line. But I feel like it's my obligation. So I started writing a book, and then I realized that you know my thing is music. You know, music is my thing. So the idea came that I should just make my album the book. You know, and that's why, you know, I'll, I, the, the way the album's going to come out is going to be like EPs and each EP is going to represent the book. So there will be a physical book, but each EP is going to represent the book. So, for example, one of the EPs is called Forward. The, another one of them is called Preface. And so it's like it's structured like a book, but it's a series of music. And then mm. Chapters is the main body of work, the 12, the 12 records. And they're all about like empowering yourself. It's all about achievement i mean it's not like like oh believe in yourself cheesy stuff it's like real stuff you know what i mean it's like musically i've worked with a lot of um uh strings so it's very orchestral but it's very hip-hop at the same time it's like it's taken some time to d- to do you know it's, it's it's been in the process for the last three years but i just want it to be a body of work that i feel like it's going to stand the test of time sounds amazing know? man and i'm and i'm really and i really have no like if one if 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 one person if the album changes one life, like somebody listens to the album and says, you know what, I became a better person through co- connecting that on that on that vibration, listening to your story, listening to the music and the way you presented the music and sonically how it's mixed and presented, and I've read the book and it's helped me. If one person can come back to me and say that, this is a success and it will be a bigger success than any top ten any sales, any units I've ever, why? Because it's like, top 10s, you get a new top 10 every week. It changes every week. It's going to keep on going forever and ever. It's not that important. A platinum plaque is great. It's incredible. Once it's on the wall, it doesn't do jack shit. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just there for people to say, wow, wow, wow. Say wow again. But changing somebody's life and, and having the potential of them then going on and telling their story and impacting somebody else's life. Even if I don't know about it, I only have to know about one person. That one person comes to me and says, Sway, I listen to chapters or next chapter, I'm still undecided on the title. And it really helped me. 
It's the ripple effect, isn't it? It's enough for me, man. Because I know, I know that it's going to go on forever. I know it's going to continue on. I know how much thought and time I've put into the presentation and how little thought I've put into the actual making of yeah. the music. Right, you know? I like chapters, by the way. Chapters, yeah? Chapters, yeah. I like. Yeah, um, I just, one more, I, we asked the same three questions at the end of yeah. every episode. So I've got one more just before we do them. Okay. What's the process creatively for you of writing a song? Because I, I have these ideas of like who I want on the podcast, what questions I'm going to ask. Yeah. I also do events when like I wake up in the night, think of a question that's going to stem some other, some good conversations, some yeah. good chat. So I write it down in like the middle of the night or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. I, I don't want to lose lose it, and or I'll have a pen and paper by the side of my bed. What's the process for you? Do you get inspiration anywhere, or will you like set up a scene and come in the studio like this, and then yeah. know that you're going to get inspiration? Or how does it work? So I've kind of I. I I'm a vessel for music. It comes through me. But I've kind of known, like before I didn't know how to kind of encourage it. So I know, sometimes I'll just wake up in the middle of the night and the melody will be in my head and I have to voice note it. And then next time I get into the studio, I'll put it down in keys or whatever and make a song out of it. Well, you like say it into your voice. Yeah, yeah I've got yeah. tons of voice notes. I mean, <laughs> like my, my whole family are used to me going, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's proper, you know, um, sometimes it comes to me in random. I might be on a plane and it will come to me. But the vast majority of the time, I know that I just have to clear my mind. I have a process when I come into this room to record. What's where that? I'm like, I sit down for like five minutes. And I just clear my mind. I allow space for it to come through me. I clear my mind and anything that comes through me at that point, and it's, it's, it's how I've been able to be so prolific with this album. I've got like like loads of records. The melody will come, then the subject will come, then the story will come, then the words will come. They just come because I've made space for them to arrive. When I overthink it, or if I've got too many people in the room, I've got too many people about, it's not going to happen. So I've kind of like, I've learned my best process for writing is to kind of clear the space and allow it to flow through me. And again, man, like literally I, I, I respect everything I've done prior to this moment in my life. I respect it and I respect that a lot of it, um, I've, I've been very fortunate. But where I'm planning to take it musically, uh, lyrically, and just on a, on a, on a, vibration level I'm more proud of that even though it hasn't actually come out yet I just mm. know it's I just know it's bigger it's exciting man yeah definitely. what's that process in those five minutes mate are you just like are you doing anything or are you just sitting there literally thinking trying to think of nothing or? First, first of all I, I, you know so I believe in God you know so first of all I have to be grateful you know nice. first of all I'm very grateful like grateful to be here grateful to have this opportunity I'm grateful. I think about the things that I'm grateful for. You know what I mean? Anything that's kind of bothering me, I just let fall to the side. Like, it's like, I see how, I, I shrink it almost in my mind. You know? I almost like see a problem and shrink it. And then that problem doesn't exist. Or I can deal with it because it's so small. It's easy to deal with. And then I just go into a blank, blank mode. You know what I mean? Where it's just kind of nothing just stillness just silence amazing maybe for like three minutes or something like that and then I just open up the keys and whatever comes to me it might be a melody it might be a word first it might be the word that comes to me it might be a melody it might be something else whatever it is I put it down and I build from there and whenever I get into difficulties or 
I feel my ego getting involved or there's sometimes what I might hear like, oh man, let me make this song a bit shorter because it worked for radio. I have to stop there because I'm thinking too superficial again. I'm going back into superficial mode. doesn't matter if it's going to work for radio or not. That's not the, p- the purpose of this. We we hold somebody's attention. That I'm, more, that I'm more having that conversation with myself. Like, is this song too long to hold somebody's attention yeah. as opposed to, is it too long for radio play? You know, and if a song's going on a bit and I feel like I'm ranting a bit in a, in a record, then I'll cut it down for that purposes of the fact that I want the listener to con- consistently be yeah. entertained. Amazing, man. Mate, that's so good. Gratitude is is a huge one that people talk about a lot. Like It's what I've learned from a lot of reading. Yeah. You know, it's what yeah. I've learned. And, you know, to be honest with you, it's always been, you know, even like when it comes to religion, like I don't knock anybody's religion. I'm not religious. I used to be religious. You know, I've, I've, I was born up, born and raised in both Islam and Christianity and I respect those religions highly. And especially if you're able to take from that as a Christian, Muslim, uh, whatever religion you want, take from that and take uh, the, the, the general values and make that, um, and, and that allows you to become a better person. But I don't knock anybody's views. Whatever, if you believe in the universe or science or God, like that's your path. Whatever enables you to become a better person is important. You know, I don't judge anybody for their religious beliefs or anything. I only get kind of like, I switch off when people attack you for your beliefs. Mm. Like if you're a Christian and you say, well, if you're not a Christian, you're all going to hell because you've got, this is the only way. And I'm like, okay, that's the only way for you. You know, like don't attack other people because yeah. you don't know what, what journey they're on and what path they're on. It's not good to judge people. So when I say like, um, I'm grateful and I and I pray to God, that's right for me. I'd never have someone else in the room and say, listen, we have to pray to God because their their, their definition of God might be something different, yeah. you know, and, yeah. I, and I respect that. But as it, long as people don't come with a negative vibe. Yeah, I love that, mate. And at the end of the day, it's all their way of getting to, like you said, their best version of themselves. So Definitely. it's all good. All right, man. So yeah, as I said before, we do the same three questions yeah. at the end of every episode. Go for it. So the first of these three, Sway, is, mm-hmm. is there anything that you've come up against or, or discovered or found recently that you're particularly excited about that other people can look into themselves? So bas- <laughs> basically, um, I run a production team. I have a team of producers and we got approached to do, this is a good one for you actually. Okay. We got approached to do um, some, uh, there's an app that's been launched in America called Weave Run. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. So basically it's an app that that uh, it it mimics your tempo okay. when you're running. So when you're running, you listen to music. When you run faster, it doesn't only speed up the music, but it goes into the genre that's... The, kind, at that beat. Yeah, so yeah. like for example, it'll go into drum and bass. Sick. You know what I mean? And because um, of my, t- like I have a, a, a team of producers, I got approached by a friend of mine who's like, would your producers be in- interested in getting involved in in adapting records that already exist for Weave Run? And we did a couple of weaves and I was like, you know what? My biggest problem is that, not my biggest problem, but one thing about me is like, I hate running, but I really want to, I'm trying to transform myself into enjoying running because I know it's something yeah. that I need to do to get healthy and to keep healthy and and it's something i've always aspired for i just never liked it from school and never got involved in it so i thought i'm gonna write a record for 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 uh, in general but that is able to be adapted in this app and um call it the runner 
and I'm gonna write a record that's gonna inspire like me to wanna run. Have you it's have gonna, you written it yet? Yeah, I've got the record already. I've done the record, the record's now being incorporated into the app. Yeah, man, yeah I love I mean? it. So yeah, so I have a I have a, a normal version of it where it's not but you you hear it go through the motions. I'll send it to Sick. you. Sick, yeah, so love to hear it. Yeah. Can we put it at the end of this podcast episode? Nah, because oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not for yeah, that app. It's not yes, yeah, no, it's not for the app, but it's not released yet. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah, so right, I'll, right. Listen, I'll give it to you for your yeah, love to you, man. Pleasure, but yeah, it's like, thank you, mate. It's a record that goes from you hear it, and it's kind of there's so many deep levels to it. It starts at 82 BPM, which is the year of my birth, 1982. Man, and then that's it goes cool. up, and it's got my real my real breathing in it. I sampled my own breathing and different levels of my breathing it's quite it took me a long time and I, I, I did that record over 10 months you know? I can't wait to hear it mate can I give you my one piece of advice on how yeah. to get better at running please so a lot of the times where you where people struggle to do something is because you don't identify with it you know you've spoken a lot about how you related to different people which is what led you to music and other yeah. stuff so I've always liked running because I played football okay. from the age of like four years old yeah so in my mind then, without me really knowing it, I, I became a footballer, in quotes. So that's how I viewed myself. Okay. So I identified with the act of playing football, which yeah. meant that I also identified with the act of running. Running, okay. So for people to shift their mindset who struggle with running, yeah. you just go from saying, instead of going like, I don't really like running, yeah. That's what that because then you take that as your identity. You go, yeah. I'm a runner. I've done five minutes, but I'm a runner now. And then you build on it from there, but you but you maintain that identity of being a runner. I get you. Um, and it's the same as what you did when you shifted your mindset when when you went through your adversity. Yeah, it's the same thing. We're just yeah. flipping it over to yeah. go like rather than oh, I don't really like running. It's like I'm a runner. It's not I'm a runner. Even if it's a hundred meters, I'm a runner. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. No, I like that. I like yeah. that. I'm gonna apply that. All right, mate. So the second one of these three is if you had one piece of advice to give all the listeners something that they can practice daily that will help yeah. them be better, what will that be? Yeah, I'd say. Aim high. Mm-hmm. I'd say aim high. I'd say why? Because I found out that it costs the same. Huh. You know what I mean? Whether you think big or think small, it takes the same amount of energy and effort. You know, this is just a thought. So why not put your mind in a position of where you're looking for the best possible outcomes in everything you're doing? You know, it doesn't matter about not always hitting the mark. Always aiming high is the first step towards hitting the mark. Yeah. You know? So I'd say aim high, man. Like like I say with this with this album, like you know, if I touch one person, I feel amazed. But I know that one person is going to lead on to tens of million people. Mm. Whether it, whether I'm it's going to be in my lifetime or not, I know that I'm really confident in that. It's just going to take one person, and that's what. That's, of course, yeah, man. The charts don't matter. That doesn't matter, you know. The long term is what matters, and that's why I'm aiming so high with this, and that's why I'm putting so much effort behind this one. Yeah, love it, man. That's amazing. All right, aim high. Aim high. The last question of these is: yeah. if there was one standout trait in Sway yeah. that got you to where you are today, yeah. what is that thing? Persistence. Nice. Yeah, persistence is persistence is key because you know what. You're always gonna like if if I if I was to write out my story, um, a lot of the time I faced resistance, you know, like, but it's it's all been a necessary resistance, you know, like it's resistance because I followed back back to what I was saying I followed 
my ego. Mm. You know, the ego, I, like, I don't, I don't talk about the ego like it's a bad thing, you know. It's when it becomes you when, you, when you are your ego, that's when it's a bad thing. But if you're in a competitive world, you've got to get your ego in there because your ego is going to tell you you're the best, you're the greatest, and you're, you can achieve this. Mm. Use it to your advantage, you know. And so sometimes through being persistent, you've got to understand your qualities and let your ego be in the driver's seat a little yeah. bit. That's my opinion. You know, a lot of people might say like on a higher spiritual level, lose the ego and stuff like that. In this market, in this world where I'm trying to get a message across and I'm trying to reach people in a very crowded, it's like being in a crowded area. For me to get across from one part of the crowd to the other, I might have to move a few things out of the way. I might have to push through because if I just stand there saying, excuse me, everyone's got their own agenda. You understand? So persistence, that's my persistence. My persistence is never like, to persistently do something bad or hurt anybody. But if I face resistance from what my purpose is, then I have to push past that resistance. And I've got to use my might and my ego and my strength to do that. Yeah. You're a legend, man. I love that. No, thank you very much, man. Mate, that was the, the best way to end the chat. So Great stuff. really enjoyed it, man. Great stuff. Man. Looking forward to all your upcoming projects. And if, if there's anything that you're happy to share with the listeners, and we yeah. can stick it, a track at the end so they can get, okay. get a listen in, that'd be awesome. We'll do. Um, other than that, I'll, I'll put all the links to all your all your stuff, Great like stuff, your, your socials and website and everything. And Great stuff. Uh, yeah, I've loved it, mate. It's been brilliant. No, good, man. Right. It's been a pleasure, man. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure, man. It's definitely good to talk to somebody and you sound very like super like-minded as well in terms of where you're at spiritually and yeah. you know a lot of the outside world like a lot of people are so caught up especially in music man music is kind of like I watch it from a a really strange place where I don't judge it but I'm just kind of like people have to understand like it's like a merry-go-round with a spotlight on it and Everybody gets a time to shine if they stay on the merry-go-round long enough. But what are you doing when the light's not on you? You know, if you're just constantly on that merry-go-round, waiting for the light to shine on you, you're wasting a lifetime, you know? And I'm, con I'm, I'm currently in a place where that light is not on me. So it enables me to do whatever I want and make mistakes, but build myself to the day that one day, eventually, it might swim back onto me. And I'll have a lot to show for it. I'll have a lot to show for what I was doing um, in the dark. And that's why I'm constantly writing, constantly investing in, in, in music. I'm not doing so much of the executive production stuff anymore because I need to focus on this project. Yeah. Like, it's like my, it's my life's work, really, you know? Amazing, man. Yeah. yeah, can't wait to hear it, mate. Thank you very much, man. Thank you, man. Appreciate well, it. Man. Cheers, man. So there it is guys, what an amazing episode, what a person, what a human being, doing unbelievable stuff in music and unbelievable stuff in life in general. Anyone who's a music lover, I'm sure you would have enjoyed that. Please reach out to either me or Sway at SwayDesafo on Instagram and at MarkWhittle underscore TF. If you enjoyed it, also stay tuned now because I'm going to drop one of Sway's new song which is called Change so you can hear what he's up to now and what he's cooking up in the studio. Also go on to Spotify, go on to iTunes, anywhere that you get your music and listen to any of his old songs. In particular, we spoke about Little Derek earlier in the chat. Go and listen to that. That's definitely my favourite song of his. 
and just go and show some love and watch the support he's got so much stuff coming up and the idea of chapters this kind of book of lessons and and teachings that's coming up oh, i can't wait to listen to that so now this is just launched i'll actually be in la this is the sunday afternoon i'm recording this the week before and i'm traveling on thursday to la so this is dropping on a week today so i'll actually be in la now i would have recorded i think three episodes by now and then on Tuesday, I'll be driving down six hours or up. I haven't actually figured it out yet. I'll, I'll have a look when I get there. To meet my brother and Tommy, the Tempest 2, who are on episode two of this podcast, because they have crazily decided to climb El Capitan, which is the rock face that you see on the Apple uh, MacBooks. It's the face that Dawn Wall was filmed on. It's the wall that Free Solo was climbed on with Alex Honnold. So it's just a, an unbelievable challenge that the boys have set themselves and I'm really excited to go and watch that and support that. And then I'm going to record a podcast with those boys as well straight after. So it'll be the second time they come on, which will be really nice because I haven't spoken to them about what they're doing in depth since actually I recorded episode two nearly two years ago. So it'll be fascinating to catch up with them around the stuff that they're doing with the challenges and the business side of things. Because quite frankly, whenever I see them, and particularly my brother, we don't really talk too much about the business stuff as you can imagine so it'll be nice to catch up and chat with them and hopefully for you guys it will be fascinating to hear the story about two complete amateurs who had never climbed before learning to climb over a year to 18 months to be able to get to a position to climb el capitan so please get ready for the upcoming episodes i think i'm going to get six in when i'm over there in la this time and of course it is halloween while i'm there so me and my brother are going to go to universal studios and go to halloween horror because it's unreal it's one of my favorite things i do i try and do it every year which is very spoiled but also more importantly it's my grandma's birthday and she is a legend so happy birthday anyway i'm rambling now so look forward to all those episodes i really hope you enjoyed the one with sway what a fucking legend he is really hoping that i can get more involved with with him as, around the events and stuff like that so people who have enjoyed listening will hopefully be able to see him face to face live as well and hear some more of his stories because he's really really inspiring that's enough from me please enjoy this epic track from the legendary sway de Sarfo called change enjoy Back to put the 
satisfaction that we are now to deliver the satisfaction Make it happen, hard work, passions Grew wings then the strings disappeared Flew in but don't hear wind in our ears Reason all through the seasons Following my purpose and reason Surface to surface to believe it Cause everybody needs something they can believe it No restrictions, no limits, no ceiling Maybe that welcome Mr. Seven Good evening, embrace a change